Brew Strong is brought to you by morebeer.com, where a man can brew like a man. For the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think Jamil Sainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Greetings, my master. <laughs> hey, everybody. Oh, John, you, you never cease to amaze me. Darth Palmer. <laughs> Darth Palmer. <laughs> I'm sure one of these days I will. You'll cease to amaze me? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And at that point, uh, <laughs> you're dead to me. Yeah, that's right. Get somebody else on the show. That'll be it. No longer the uh, I'll refer to it as the no longer amazing John Palmer. <laughs> the no, the no longer sweet rock. <laughs> sweet rock. And you'll sound just like his wife, Jamil. <laughs> Got to give him some flattery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. He will. He'll sound just like her at that point. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh, oh. poor John. <laughs> yeah, since the last time we we're on the air, yeah. since the last time we we're on the air, uh, I went up to the uh, Northern California Homebrewers Festival. It was a lot of fun. I bet that was. I was. I was wanted to go to that, but yeah. uh, schedule was you know always difficult. Right. We we're trying to work out where uh, you'd fly up, and then we'd drive up together and yeah. hang out in the uh, Pope Mobile and uh, experience the uh, the wonder that is the uh, NCHF. I remember that that uh, conference or festival fondly. I mean, I was there back in, I think it was two thousand two or two thousand three, mm-hmm. and uh, certainly had a great time. Yeah, it's it's a it's a time. blast. Uh, and they do that fancy uh, beer dinner with uh, Sean Paxton. Yeah. yeah, on Friday, and that's that's always amazing. I always end up leaving going like, oh my god, I can't believe I ate that much. <laughs> kind of stagger back to the uh, the RV, and you know. Pinch off a big one. And <laughs> oh, I thought you were just going to lean over the sink or something. Yeah. Go to bed. You know. Yeah, I missed it for the second year in a row, and I uh, used to never miss it. Really like it. The the best part about it really is well, Paxton's dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, but those clubs are just so cool. I mean, yeah. a lot of beer events. It's the it's the beer that makes the event. But there, to me, it's the clubs. Man, those clubs are so much fun. So mm-hmm. cool. The booths they set up and everything. Yeah. Sorry, I missed it. I'll be back yeah, next where, year. What were you doing? Getting ready for GABF? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was too much. I just couldn't fit it all in. I would have screwed up GABF, so I decided to skip yeah, out this year. A weekend before. Yeah. Oh, I tell you, it yeah. was just blazing hot. It was, oh, really? Oh, there are people passing out from the heat, and uh, oh, wow. And the beer had something to do with it. But uh, it was <laughs> intensely hot, and uh, yeah, I think it got people talking about moving it to oh, uh, October or oh. something for uh, the future. And I, I guess, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'd look forward to that. A nice cooler, uh, cooler uh, event. Yeah. And were you a guest speaker this year? Yes, I talked about um, alt beers and uh, Kolsch's. 
because uh, that's what the festival was this year was uh, Kolsch and alt beer were the uh, the, the uh, styles. So I talked about uh, brewing um, misconceptions. Really, is uh, what I focused on was because those are really some misunderstood styles. People, you know, have these weird ideas of what Kolsch is all about and alt beers are all about, and uh, so I was trying to kind of, uh, you know quell some of those myths and uh, misunderstandings. I know, it was a lot of fun. I guess people tend to try to make those beers bigger, bolder, when that's really not the character of them, right? Yeah, or they have just, you know, weird uh, misconceptions like, um, you know, all alt beer is, you know, intensely bitter, uh, right. you know, light-colored, you know, ale, and, uh, you know, it's not. It's... Um, you know, there's plenty of examples that are not nearly that bitter. I mean, they've got a bitterness to them, but it's really fairly subtle overall. And, you know, it's more of a balanced beer with, uh, and there's, you know, much darker versions than you would think, according to, uh, you know, at least the old style. The new style guidelines are much better about it. And, uh, you know, same thing, same thing on Kolsch. People, uh, I ran across people a while ago that they thought uh, Kolsch should be, you know, intensely sour, or not intensely sour, but should have a, a sourness to it. Just have a tartness because it always has weed in it, and it's like both of oh, those no. statements <laughs> are so wrong on so many levels as far as um, you know wheat making a beer sour, which it doesn't, and Kolsch always having wheat, which it doesn't, and Kolsch being tart, which it isn't. So <laughs> a lot of misconceptions. <laughs> right? It's just like what the hell? How were the homebrewed examples that people made for the festival? Uh, pretty good. Um, I the Doc had a really good one. That you know, Kolsch, Kolsch, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. taste of Doc's Kolsch I like, and that was one of them. I told him to you know serve that as a sample while I was talking. Oh, cool! And uh, I don't think it was flawless, but it was really good. I think there were minor things that you might tweak to it, but other than that, it was it was really fantastic. Okay, and then uh, alts were much harder to come by. Yeah, I'm picky about my alts. It's your fault. I <laughs> love that style. You yeah. turned me onto it the first time. And now I'm real picky about them. But yeah. I love a good alt, man. Yeah. If they do it well, it's such a good style. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is It is fantastic beer. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, in order to uh, drink that beer, you got to serve it, right? So uh, today we're talking about... Uh, uh, serving beer. Serving beer, dispensing beer. And, and we had a, a listener that uh, he called in and uh, uh, asked us a question about uh, serving beer. Hey, Jamil and John, this is Steve Arnold uh, calling from Fort Smith, Arkansas, home of the River Valley Ale Raisers Homebrew Club, and I have a question about kegging and about the perfect pour. And here's here's the question. Um, I've been kegging for about five years, and I started off as just a short length of hose, and I've kind of I read some stuff in uh, in Dave Miller's book about how you know you could. You could have a longer hose, and it would bleed off pressure off the off of the beer, and you could keep the beer under pressure all the time, and, and that's how tap systems work and all that. So I've done a little bit of experimenting myself with length of hose, temperature of the of the beer, and, and how much it, it I still I still am having trouble getting that perfect pour, uh, and, and I don't have taps yet, so you know I want to move to taps. So I guess the question would apply to both picnic taps and tap handles. That's what I mean. I don't have the tap handles, so. Um, I, I bet you guys could fill up a good, a good long show talking about that perfect pour out of a keg of beer. So, uh, boy, I sure would appreciate some uh, some tips from you guys. Thanks a lot, and love the show, Bruce Strong, guys. 
All right, thanks, Steve. That's a yeah. that's a good question. I think uh, another man with a short hose problem. <laughs> right? Yeah. Apparently, uh, size matters when you're talking about the size of your hose for uh, dispensing beer. And, and the handle. Uh, yeah, and, and the handle. What kind of knob you put on it? Um, well, and and let's do what we always do. Let's uh, let's start off with. Um, John, describe for me what is, you know, you talked about the perfect pour. What is the perfect pour? What are we trying to achieve? What's, what should it look like, taste like what? Well, what you're trying to achieve is a beer that pours without excessive foam. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, want to, you want to pour a beer with, you know, a nice head on top of it, but not one that's, uh, you know, all foam, no beer in the bottom of the glass kind of thing mm-hmm. running over the sides. Uh, and you don't want it to pour, you know, um, still either. Mm-hmm. You want you want to get a good balance of of agitation and foaming while the beer is pouring, uh, so you have you know aromatics and, and about an inch of head on top of the beer as you bring it. You know, take mm-hmm. your first sip. And that would be for your your average like American uh, craft beer type of style of beer. Right. Obviously, if you're right. doing something like a British pub beer, you know. Head is a is a no no almost ever you know tiny head because you know that's that's uh, yeah. ripping people but, off and uh, if you're doing something like a uh, uh, German Hefe maybe a much a bigger uh, head on that right 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 and and they'll you know the, I guess you can really get into different pouring techniques I mean in in Europe it's very common to uh, pour the beer with uh, a significant amount of head. And then uh, scrape that off. Cut it and off then, and then... Yeah, pour again, you know, to right. bring it up. Make it crown beautifully. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like an art. And, uh, and, and I'd say as far as a perfect pour, like you said, you don't want excessive foam. You don't want uh, lack of foam. You don't want, uh, uh, you know, you don't want to make a mess. You don't want to waste a lot of beer. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, appropriately poured for the style uh, beer, and when you do have foam, that's a nice, tight, uh, you know, controlled foam that uh, you know you can either have more or less or whatever it is you need to be. Make sense? Yep, sure does. <laughs> okay, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a uh, short break, and when we come back, we'll get into how you get your hose right to uh, give you the right pull. Back after this. Smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong. Regan, I am so excited to be going to Oktoberfest for the first time. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, no problem, dude. But it's Oktoberfest. Ah. <laughs> I better brush up on my germ. Regan, this isn't the airport. You can fly, drive, walk, or click mine, Freund. There's all kinds of ways to get to Oktoberfest. Regan, 
We're in the middle of an oak forest. I swear, if I hear a banjo, I'm out of here. Boys, over here! We're about to tap my barrel! Yeah! Gross! <laughs> it's a party all month long at morebeer.com. Come join Oaktoberfest for leader-swilling deals on all things oak. Oak barrels, oak cubes, oak chips, beer kits with oak in them, oak infusion tubes, and the new Brew system, all with the best prices they've ever offered. It's Oktoberfest, only at morebeer.com, all October long. BN Army members, are you looking for an even better deal on hops? Keep listening. Nico's Homebrew Supply at nicobrew.com has hops by the ounce and by the pound. nicobrew.com will be running their biggest sale on hops yet, with 19 varieties for only $19 or less per pound. Varieties like Cascade, Centennial, Willamette, and more. The sale begins October 11th and runs through the 29th. Be sure to use coupon code BNARMY to get these awesome prices. Whether a couple ounces at a time or an 11-pound bag, all hops are shipped vacuum sealed and frozen straight to you and five dollar flat rate shipping includes all 50 states and for hops that means you too alaska and hawaii the staff at nico's homebrew supply loves to brew and is committed to keeping homebrewing affordable and accessible to anyone who wants to join in this great hobby remember coupon code bn army for the brewing network discount visit nicobrew.com that's n-i-k-o brew.com nicobrew.com your bare bones buddy in the brewing business Hi, this is Push from the Brewing Network, and I want to tell you about the Brewmaster's Warehouse and how you can get 10% off your next order. I'm a pretty techie guy, but I've never seen an online store like this. It's awesome. Go to brewmasterswarehouse.com and click on Brew Builder. You can whip up a custom recipe so easily even Sven could do it. Seriously, it's slick. You can share your recipe with your own logo and notes to the Brewmaster's database if you want. And the best part, it keeps a running tally of the beer you're building while you're doing it. Then, bam, click Buy Recipe and your cart is filled and ready to go with helpful suggestions in case you forgot something. This thing is amazing. Brewmaster's Warehouse is run the way a home brewer would do it with great service, fast turnaround, and $6.99 flat rate shipping. Brewmaster's Warehouse and the Brew Builder blew me away. Check it out today at brewmasterswarehouse.com. I'm serious. And don't forget to put BN Army in the discount code box for 10% off your order. Check out brewmasterswarehouse.com. Cheers. This Sit down next to it, grab yourself a paper towel, and watch those yeast have sex. You're listening to the Brew Network. Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Bruce Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking uh, Perfect Pour. And I went and I poured myself um, during the break a, 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 a pint of uh, Justin's Mirror Pond clone. And that looks pretty darn good. I mean, you know, that's that's like, you know, nice, tight... Uh, slightly uh, off-white uh, head there. It's you know maybe about a half to three quarters of an inch on top of a, a nice clear beer. No real mess, no waste. You know, mm-hmm. That's uh, essentially how it should turn out, right? Looks great, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Chad does a good job. <laughs> no, this one was all me. Oh, but but yes. but how did it how did it taste? Well, and so uh, <laughs> let's get let's get into the pouring here. Um, <laughs> it's it's, it's it. fine. It's it's the best pale ale that I've tasted that Justin's brewed. <laughs> I'll take it. I will take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah. 
Justin has never brewed a better pale ale than this. <laughs> huh? That must be something to taste. Indeed. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Palmer, you dick. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're talking about, so we've kind of identified what a perfect pour we're looking for, and, th- and that can vary by style. And, uh, you know, so you're going to vary your carbonation. But let's let's focus first on just, um, um, uh, you know, pouring a, a perfect, like, American craft brew pint as our... Uh, hypothetical here. How how do I get started, Palmer? How, how do I how do I you know well, I, I've got beer in a keg. I've you know and I've got uh, you know a, a picnic faucet and some hose. You know that I yeah, bought down yeah. at you know wherever. Well, the, I, the first place to start is uh, getting the right carbonation level for the style. Okay, and. Uh, and you should be, and you should also be serving that beer at the right temperature uh, for the style, because all the, I mean, you don't want to overpressurize your keg and uh, compensate with the beer line, and then pour a beer that's too carbonated for the style. You know, it's just that's not going to be doing that beer justice. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise, under carbonating, you know, trying to keep the foam down, you're not going to do that beer style justice. So. Um, the place to start is with the right carbonation level, the right serving temperature for the keg. And now you want to balance that by um, running it through the proper length of beer line. Okay, uh, and, so so I've got a beer that should be served at um, 45 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. And I've got, uh, I need um, two and a half volumes of CO2. Okay. Okay. Well, you can go to Appendix D of Brewing Classic Styles. Uh-huh. And there we've got a chart that will show you um, the right keg pressure to mm-hmm. achieve two and a half volumes at 45 degrees. Okay. And that, you know, that's, so that's your first step is dialing in the keg pressure itself. Mm-hmm. Now you want to say, okay, I, you know, I've got... Um, that you you look at that chart that works out to about 15 psi. Okay. So you're going to want to uh, put enough beer line in place between uh, the keg and your and your little Cobra picnic tap, mm-hmm. or your you know your draft system, uh, say mounted on a refrigerator or something. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to put in enough beer line to equal about 12 to 15 psi. Okay. You don't want to go over because then your beer is going to pour sluggishly, and you're not so- going to get you know, you're not going to get the kind of pour you want, but you want to get uh, at least balanced, or you know, maybe at 15 or slightly under that. Now you say you want to have the right amount of line. Now, so the, you know the what the line does, the beer passing through it, it it slows down the beer. It helps, uh, you know, provide yeah. some resistance. What exactly is happening there that that is important yeah. to getting the right pour? It's flow resistance. It's um, it's the amount of you know liquid you've got to move, the weight of that liquid, um, with respect to gravity. I mean, are you drawing you know are you drawing the beer up from your basement, or are you just, uh, or is there really no difference in height between the top of the keg and uh, the top and the tap handle? Okay, or the, you know, the, the tapper. In my in my keg fridge, uh, the tops of the kegs are even with the wall penetrations of the 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 faucets 
So I'd say that's perfectly level all the way across. So if I'm doing that, I don't have to count for any sort of gravity or any force of gravity, right? Right. What kind of uh, length of tubing am I talking about to to serve this beer at 45 degrees Fahrenheit and two and a half volumes of CO2? Okay, well, your different beer lines have different amounts of resistance. Okay. Uh, the smaller the diameter, the you know the higher resistance to flow it will have, and uh, you know, I mean, you can uh, picture that by you know drinking a, a soda through a coffee stirring straw versus a regular straw. You know, it, it's it's harder to draw the liquid through that the smaller diameter. Mm-hmm. So, a um, a three sixteenths inch ID uh, vinyl beer line has about uh, two to three psi of resistance per foot. So, if you've you know if we're trying to balance this system, we want to get about fifteen psi. Mm-hmm. Um, let's assume there's um, um, three psi per foot. You'd need five feet of tubing to, to equal that pressure, mm-hmm. um, and that will allow the beer to pour without foaming excessively. Mm-hmm. Now you can you you can sh- if it's not pouring quite fast enough at five feet, you can cut off six inches and try there, and and that that decrease in, in pressure drop by you know removing that section of tubing will help the beer flow faster. Mm-hmm. You get a little more aggressive pour, so you can you can fine tune. Um, the length of beer tubing you use to um, get the, get a, a particular beer to pour right. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to me then that the larger the ID inside diameter of the line you're using, the less resistance there is, and you That's want right. a certain amount of resistance. So it seems to me I'd want to use the smallest diameter line I could because... Um, that's going to give me enough resistance to match what I'm serving at, and I don't have to use as long a piece, so I don't have as much beer sitting in the lines. I don't have as much expense of buying a really long line. Uh, so, you know, give me the one sixteenth uh, beer line to, to serve my beer from. Why? Why wouldn't I uh, want something? You know, what's the drawback to going as small as possible? Time it'll take you, you know, twenty minutes to pour that beer. Okay, um, you know, you want you want to be able to you know pour a beer in under a minute. You know, typically, I mean, you know, you 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 don't want it to take ten minutes to pour, um, but a minute or so is is probably about right. And so, a three sixteenths ID or maybe a quarter inch ID. Mm-hmm. If you're running, you know, if you're running the beer line up from the basement or something, and right. you've got a long way to go, you then need gonna, a bigger line. You need a bigger line. Otherwise, because you'd have you'd, too much resistance. You wouldn't be able to push the beer. That's right. Uh-huh. That's right. Okay. And you'd ha- or and, you know, and you'd set up your system and saying, "Oh man, the beer's not pouring fast enough." And you go downstairs and crank up the pressure. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> now you've got an overcarbonated beer. Right. So uh, when it finally does come out of the faucet, so you want you know you want to balance that. You want to get the right size, right diameter of tubing, and the right length of tubing. You know, for your setup to get the best pour out so there is a you know some mathematical way to kind of figure out what you want but um you know you don't uh there's also a little bit of kind of monkeying around with it right you'd want to start with a longer piece of hose than you need and then cut pieces off to till you get to the right till you're dialed in yeah 
Yeah, I mean, and if you you know if you change uh, beer styles, you may have to have a different line in place, or may have uh, a uh, what do you call them a, a splitter on your uh, keg, so you can have uh, different line, length lines going from each. Uh, tap to you know mm-hmm. longer lines for uh, higher carbonation styles, shorter lines for lower. Mm-hmm. But the general equation is uh, you allow about a half psi per foot of elevation difference in elevation. So if the if the keg is you know two feet below the level of your tap handles, mm-hmm. you figure about a one a one psi drop for that change in elevation, mm-hmm. um, and looking at the the beer line diameters um you're looking at about two to three psi per foot for this three sixteenths id and that works out to about 45 to 68 uh, uh kilopascals per meter um, a quarter inch id beer line is 0.65 to 0.85 psi per foot or 15 to 19 kilopascals per meter um, then when you get the larger stuff like the five sixteenths and the three eighths, you're talking 0.4 and to 0.2 uh, psi per foot, or nine to four and a half kilopascals per meter for the amount of uh, pressure drop from those larger IDs. Mm-hmm. Now um, they also have a uh, device, right? Like kind of like some sort of clamp or something you put on the lines to add resistance. Oh yeah, yeah. You can take a little uh, tubing clamp. They have it looks like a small vice or something that you can clamp on and tighten to mm-hmm. collapse the line a little bit, and that can you know that adds more resistance, as you say, and, and uh, slows your flow. Right. And um, I think I think. Uh, using the proper link works a little bit better because of you, the amount of flow you can get through it. Right, right. You know, just making the tubing smaller or putting more resistance on the tubing ends up in less flow. Yeah, and you also with the uh, the kind of the if, if you're pouring fast, the expansion of the volume of the tube um, past the clamp will tend to cause some foaming in the line. Depending on the amount of pressure drop there is. If you're using one of those clamps, should you use it um, right as close as possible to the faucet end? Or yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. When when I got uh, started in, uh, you know, get my draft uh, system set up, uh, I went down to More Beer. Actually, More Beer is uh, the sponsor of this show. Um, great folks, uh, great products there. Uh, uh Good people there. And, and uh, what I did was I went down and I said, hey, you know, I've got a keg. Um, I've got a, a, a Cobra uh, tap. Uh, it's a little plastic head. They call them Cobra taps. Those little black plastic things with a little lever on them and a piece of tubing. And I've got a, a CO2 uh, keg. I said, I want to set up a fridge so I can go, you know, have faucets on the outside with a nice drip tray and all that, you know, get me started. And uh talked to Chris Graham down there. He's like, okay, yeah, here's what you need. You know, how many faucets did you want? And I wanted four at the time. I think I used one or two now. 
<laughs> I mean, you always want more than, than you, you know. Yeah. You don't realize that you got to clean all those and you got to keep them all, uh, you know, uh, serving beer. And then, uh, you know, a drip tray. And, um, and then when it came to the beer lines, he, you know, he's like, okay, you know, and he just, uh, they have this nice uh, silicone um, tubing that they, they use a soft tubing. What's nice about it, it's real flexible. And they they have that as an option for for beer line serving, and uh, yeah, he just stretches it out on his arms, you know, to about you know five six feet, and he says, uh, "Here you go," you know, and you know, whips me off uh, four pieces of that, and he says, uh, "You know, that should be about right." And I'm thinking, oh, okay, and you know, sure enough, I I uh, really haven't had a monkey around with those much. And uh, you know, was Chris just lucky? Did he really know? Um, you know, or is that something that the average brewer can do? Can you just go down, and say, hey, you know, and stretch out your arms, and say, okay, that's about mm-hmm. six feet, and uh, you know, or you know, six to five feet, and that should get me pretty close to you know. That will get that will get you pretty close. I mean, if you think about. Our example that we you know we talked about the two and a half volumes and the forty five degrees serving temperature um, that that's common to a lot of styles at least uh-huh. styles the way that a lot of American homebrewers brew them right um, so yeah they you know that works out to about fifteen psi like we said mm-hmm. and um, at you know two and a half to three pounds psi drop per foot on a three sixteen inch beer line. You know, five feet uh, right. to to accomplish that. So, yeah, that's that's a good starting point. And and really, the it seems to me the only reason you would want different length beer lines would be if you have different levels of carbonation in your beers, right? Or different temperatures on your beers. If you're serving all from the same fridge, and they're all at the same temperature. And you only have one CO two regulator, so all the even if you've got a, a, a manifold that's splitting it out to multiple kegs, right? If you don't have multiple regulators dialing in different pressures, then they're all at the same pressure, they're all at the same temperature, they're all going to require the same length of beer line to serve. It doesn't matter what the style of beer is; it really what matters is temperature and CO two pressure. Isn't that correct, John? That is correct. Yeah, and then you balance that out with whatever. You know, diameter of line you're using and the length of line, they would never be different because um, you know you're just going to either not get beer out of the end of the faucet or you're going to end up with something that's real foamy. Uh, so you know, once you get that balance for that temperature and pressure, that's it. Now, if you have um, uh, most people wouldn't be serving from you know out of the same faucets from. You know, different temperatures in the same fridge. So, really, dual regulators, like you're saying, you, you could run one at 15 psi. And let's say I want to do something a little more British. I'm not going to worry about the temperature at this point because once I pour it, I can let it warm up and you know play with it yep. and sip at it and all that. So, let's say I want to do something British at uh, maybe one and a half to two volumes. What what kind of psi am I looking at there at at 45 degrees? Hang on, you know, grab the book. <laughs> You folks at home, get yourself a, a copy of Brewing Classic Styles. You can pick it up at morebeer.com, or better yet, you can also pick it up at uh, the Brewing Network in the Brewing Network store, and you get them signed when you pick them up there. Yeah, for uh, 45 degrees, um, 
and looking at about 1.7 volumes of CO2, uh-huh. um, you'd be looking at 5 PSI pressure on that keg. 5 PSI. So the American-style craft beer, we're going to do at 15 PSI. And if we have one of these uh, uh, multiple regulator jobs, you can pick that up at morebeer.com. they got all this stuff to do, any sort of distribution system, and any you know the, they can do some high-end stuff. Um, you'd want to set that second regulator at 5 PSI. Now, if I set the second regulator at 5 PSI, what happens to my line? I, you know, if I've got uh, 3 sixteenths, then I'm looking at, uh, what, uh, maybe two maybe, feet of line? Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty short. Right. You're not going to be able to open the door very well. Right, Or so I should maybe go up to the quarter inch. Yep, go up to the quarter inch, and then you'd be, you know, somewhere around 0.85 uh, PSI per foot, mm-hmm. and then you could uh, you could have you know the same five to six foot line, mm-hmm. and be dropping just that five PS- PSI of pressure. Mm-hmm. And you want to you want to don't necessarily match if you need to drop counter fifteen PSI of pressure. Don't necessarily set up with fifteen PSI. I mean, maybe get your line that length and then trim it down. But you're going to need something a little less than that, right? Right, because I mean you're going to want you're going to want a little bit of aggressiveness in the pour to get some, get to get some amount of foam. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want it to come out and you know dead still, right? Um, and so you have to agitate the beer in the glass to get some foam going. Well, um, one thing I'll do is, um, you know, when you serve, uh, and this is also part of a perfect pour, is you know, yes, yes, you pull those those valves completely open quickly, as quickly as possible, all the way open. Yeah, and uh, because if you open partway, uh, it tends to generate foam. That's right. And uh, you know, so if you do have a still pour, you can you know just uh, open the valve a little bit and squeeze out some uh, uh, foamy beer on top, and you know, kind of <laughs> dress it up a little bit. <laughs> a little turbulence there to begin with, yeah. Right, and then um, you know, also if you're using the Cobra faucet, what I find is, um, and what I. I just annoys me to no end. Of course, I'm I'm not I'm not a very patient person. I'm not not a very uh, tolerant one either. But <laughs> yeah, you go Laid somewhere. Back, but perfectionist. Oh, uh, well, we were at NCHF and somebody was uh, pouring. Uh, you know, so they had uh, uh, some kegs of. Uh, they do this uh, big competition thing where uh, you know each club submits one version of uh, you know alt beer Kolsch and. You know, everybody tries them and votes for them blind and, you know, see who the winner is. And so they get some kegs there in, in ice that, uh, you know, they've got cobra faucets on. And some guy, you know, he's holding it up at like eye level and he's trying to pour this thing and the beer is just barely coming out of the end of the cobra faucet. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, just lower it down. It'll go faster. You know, I'm, I'm waiting for my beer too. I'm like, you know, just yeah. little, little, dude, a little lower, a little lower, you know. And he, he was totally lost on him. He, you know, he wanted to watch it pour, you know. And I'm like, we're going to be here 15 minutes if you don't, like, lower it down so the beer comes out. So that's that gravity thing you were talking about, how if it's uh, raised up a, a, a couple of feet, um, that adds, uh, you know, a certain uh, restriction yeah. as it's well. It's about a half, a half PSI per foot. Okay, so right there he was... Uh, Probably uh, you know a psi and a half uh, uh, over what was you know balanced for that that uh, length of line and, and the beer and all that, and you know if you just lower it down further, if you go down below the keg even, uh, the beer pours much faster. That's right. 
And uh, so, you know, that's something I guess you can do to, to kind of counter, uh, you know, improper line. Or, you know, a lot of times you're using Cobra taps, and it's just because that's what you got, and you're on the road kind of thing. You're at a party or something, and and, and that's, that's the thing. You know, given that, should I set up you know i've seen these uh, really short faucets you know it's like a, a keg oh, fitting yeah. and a faucet easy. on it and you know you put that on a keg that looks real fancy and that's nice to have it set up that way but uh you know how do you balance out the the co2 and uh and all that well i guess that's where you're, you're using your smallest diameter line that you can get Mm-hmm. Um, you can also get um, like stainless steel, you know, direct connections, which are like eighth inch. Um, but um, there, I think you, what you what you're probably doing is uh, lowering the overpressure on the beer, you know. And I guess that's that's a technique I've seen several times where pe- people give the keg just a, a burst of CO2, and then they take the CO2 off the tank, mm-hmm. and so as they pour. You know the overpressure drops in the keg, and uh, now you're only pushing the beer with you know two or three psi um, rather than the fifteen, and that works for an afternoon. But with time, of course, the keg is going to reestablish some equilibrium, and uh, you know the 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 uh, carbonation is going to come out of the beer uh, right. to you equalize have to keep, the pressure in the headspace. Keep, so keep bleeding it off in order to do that. Right. Yeah. So okay. Well, let's uh, take a short break, and when we get back, we'll get into more uh, Perfect Pour back after this. Keep your carboy cap on. This is Bruce Strong. We'll be right back. Listen, our lawyers said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months at the, to the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment nine years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Heller High Watermelon Wheat Beer and Brew Free or Die IPA throughout California and Alaska. And now, it's also available on draft at select accounts in the Bay Area. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in a can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. Okay, we're talking uh, the perfect pour. And, uh, uh, you know, what what about stuff like uh, the faucet? Um, you know, what about, uh, 
you know, the smoothness of the bore. I imagine if you if you get a really cheap faucet that's uh, you know poorly manufactured and it's got a bunch of flashing in there, or you know, it's not nice and smooth, that that's going to cause you some trouble, right? It's going to yeah, make that'll it cause turbulence in the flow, which will you know uh, make it foam more. Mm-hmm. Um, Cleanliness. I mean, if you got a big is, big old yeah. hunk of snot in there, <laughs> and yeah. those things do build up what's got to be described as like a dark brown snot right yeah greenish or i mean sometimes it look like algae sometimes it looks just like snot uh Mm -hmm. it can be brown but you know you see that kind of thing flip into your beer as you pour it's like oh okay um (laughs) time to clean the faucets and time to clean the lines yeah but uh yeah i I use i use ventmatic faucets which are i guess another they're called forward seal faucets, mm-hmm. and they greatly reduce the amount of beer trapped inside the faucet, mm-hmm. and so they they stay cleaner longer. Um, yeah, I, I, I have uh, two of the uh, older style and then two of the Venomatic uh, forward seal, um, and I noticed the the difference as well. Uh, you know, I can go a lot longer between cleaning than than uh, normal now. I don't leave my kegs uh, hooked up to the faucets. I hook it up, I serve my beer, and then I take the, the fitting off and I spray it with uh, sanitizer. Now, if I've got people over and we're doing a bunch of pints and stuff like that, then sure, I'll leave it hooked up. But if I'm not going to have another beer until you know tomorrow or even a few hours later, I um, uh, disconnect the... the the uh, fitting from the keg and, and clean it out, and I think that helps as well because you know you get uh, certain bacteria and things growing in the faucet, and you know just travels down that line, and I think you could ruin a whole keg of beer that way. Yeah, you can. Um, the you'll get lactobacillus and other, and sometimes just plain old mold. Uh, get into the line, it'll and if you just leave it, it'll gradually uh, contaminate the whole batch, depending on you know the temperature you're serving at. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, if it's you know if it's real cold, that'll retard it quite a bit, but still. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, cleanliness is is um, important in selecting the kind of uh, faucet you want you know, for your pour. Mm. Well, and um, so you can have the right uh, you know length of line. You can have, um, you know, the perfect uh, level of carbonation, perfect temperature, and then a really cheap faucet that's uh, poorly made could cause a problem. Or you, know, you haven't cleaned the faucet in quite a while, that could cause a problem. That's what you're saying, right? Right, yeah. I mean, if you're going to, you know, spend the money on and the, I guess, the hope on putting in, a, you know, a keg system for yourself, uh, do yourself a favor and, and make sure you get a good faucet. Uh, if you get a cheap faucet, that can just you know make the whole thing seem like a big problem, mm-hmm. and uh, you're gonna, not going to be be satisfied with it. But a good yep. faucet and the right length of line, and you'll have mm-hmm. you know the perfect pours. You end up uh, forever monkeying around with the uh, the lines, and and that's not really the problem. Mm-hmm. So uh, another problem that I I see a lot of times is. Um, you know, a beer that pours with, uh, not in my beers, of course, but uh, of course. Uh, <laughs> beers that pour with uh, really large uh, bubbles. 
and you know not that fine tight head you see you know just a bunch of really large bubbles that that dissipate really quickly and uh you know all the co2's gone and the beer's flat and there's no head and you know what kind of problem is that i would say that's more of a beer problem um Mm -hmm. sounds like a, a beer that's maybe over attenuated uh one that's gotten uh like a wild yeast in it that's um you know, eating up all the uh, the dextrins and so on mm-hmm. that give you know give the beer some body and uh, give the the foam some structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, I I've seen it, I've seen that in bottled beers. You know, right. uh, where you get a gusher infection or something, and mm-hmm. uh, sometimes those gushers you know are, are foam enhancers and they just slowly crawl out of the bottle. And other ones are mm-hmm. you know just fizzy like soda pop. So. You can get the same kind of infections in kegs and in your beer lines, mm-hmm. and I, I would say that that's probably not the the uh, equipment's fault. It's probably uh, you know contamination, you know, when the keg was being filled, or contamination at the at the uh, at the valve mm-hmm. or the faucet. I mean, and it's right. gotten into the beer. So something like uh, pediococcus with its uh, uh, sliminess uh, can. Uh yeah, add add some. Uh, <laughs> That'll add some, you know, head retention. <laughs> head retention, and uh, uh, but other things they eat up all the dextrins, and and you end up with those large bubbles. The the other thing I've seen um, that can cause those large bubbles, even in a beer that isn't um, necessarily contaminated from the start, something with a lower lower gravity and a you know a uh, like you're saying lower dextrins and lower proteins and things like that, and then. Um, uh, particulate matter. So you'll be using something like a, a darkly kiln malt um, that when it's uh, milled, it, it gets real powdery. You get those real fines, that yeah. fine dust that gets in there, and it takes a long time to kind of settle out. And initially, those act as nucleation sites for the CO2. It forms a, a larger bubble. It dissipates quickly, and you end up... Um, seemingly right. with a with a thin beer with no head and large bubbles and the thing i found will will solve that is just giving it time for all those fines to settle to the bottom of the keg and then the head retention seems to come back and and seems all right yeah that's right that that's what would happen yeah okay well and um you know, so there are dispense problems that that can occur um not necessarily from uh you know the equipment, but from the beer, like you're saying, there's there's a beer problem, right? For for some of these. Okay. Do we have any questions from the chat room? Well, let's do this. Uh, we need to take one more break, and um, if we've covered everything we need to cover, uh, uh, we'll take a short break, and we'll have your questions after this. Smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong.
Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of their 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Their Williams German Pills is mashed with pure German Moravian two-row barley malt for a light blonde color and malty crispness you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out their unique fermenters, draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and more. They even have their own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse their vast selection and enter promo code BREW at the order checkout for $5 off your next order over $50. Orders placed by 3 p.m. ship the same day. Again, go to williamsbrewing.com and enter promo code BREW at checkout for $5 off your next order. Brewing is easy the Williams way. Hey, what are you doing, man? Writing a review of WLP 400. What? You're reviewing yeast? Yeah. White Labs has home brewer reviews of all their strains. Are you new to these interwebs? Check it out. That's awesome. White Labs, your source for great yeast, invites all brewers to visit whitelabs.com to read and write your own reviews of all their yeast strains. Get real-world tips and tricks from other brewers who have made the most of their vials and post your own experiences. It's another way White Labs brings you closer to the best yeast on the planet. And send. There you go. You misspelled flocculate, dude. What? Ah. Uh, White Labs. It's all in the vial. In the past year, the Brewing Network has been able to add two new shows, expand our studio capabilities and quality, and bring more beer information home to you than ever before. In no small part, this is due to subscribers like you. Thank you from all of us at the Brewing Network. Without your monthly support of any denomination, we could not bring you the very best in live beer radio like Can You Brew It? Brew Strong and the Sunday Session. Haven't signed up yet? Join your fellow brewers in the BN Army. Sign up today at thebrewingnetwork.com for a recurring donation as little as $2 a month. Besides all the great live radio you'll support, every subscriber is automatically entered in monthly raffles for amazing brew gear like a conical firm a temperature control system, or your own draft setup. Become a part of the BN Army today. This is Sit down next to it, grab yourself a paper towel, and watch those yeast have sex. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back talking about uh, the perfect pour. And uh, <clears throat> I assume we have some questions from the chat. If you're if you're listening live, which you can do, all these shows are done live. That's one thing about the Brewing Network. All right, these shows never are done live. They're not edited. It's, uh, you know, what you see is what you get. And you can actually uh, listen live at thebrewingnetwork.com, and you can actually participate in the chat room. Uh, click that Chat Now button, and you can uh, join in and, and talk with uh, other like-minded people and ask questions and uh, give feedback on the show all as it happens. Yeah, and we do have a few people in the chat room today asking some questions about this popular topic. Uh, do you have any comments about 
putting things in the dip tubes inside the keg to slow the flow coming from there. And this uh, listener said, you know, as an example, there's these poly uh, polythylene tubing from the Home Depot, and it actually says don't use for an ice maker. Um, but it fits right inside a dip tube perfectly. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about objects to restrict the flow? Usually I use a ring, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps the flow going. Yeah, yeah I, I don't. I don't really see any point in doing it there. Um, I mean, the, the using the proper length of line should uh, work better. Yeah, would that would that help at all? Um, I, I I don't I don't picture it helping helping at all. Really. Yeah, I, I, that's the first time I've heard that. And so maybe it's something genius that uh, you know if you yeah. restrict the flow coming out of the keg and you put a really short line on it. Any any time you restrict the flow and then you know you, go you, from a smaller diameter to, to larger, larger yeah, it's gonna all the CO two is gonna come out and you're gonna bubble yeah. like crazy. I would think. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think that would help. Yeah, you wouldn't think it would work, but uh, does a person say they've tried it and it works beautifully, or they're just wondering? Just wondering. No, no, I wouldn't think it would work. Like like we were talking earlier, if you're gonna restrict the flow, you want to restrict it at the faucet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the faucet end. So uh, I wouldn't think that would work. There's a, I was reading a comment this morning on uh, polyurethane tubes or, uh, that they tend to be porous, or, uh, or not porous, uh, have a, a rougher surface. Hmm. And uh, so there's more, uh, more toeholds for bacteria to, you know, get mm-hmm. settled in the, into the tube. So mm-hmm. I guess what I'm trying to say is a higher risk of contamination mm-hmm. from a polyethylene versus the typical vinyl or PVC you know lines that we often that we see used for beer tubing. No, um, everything that you buy at the Home Depot is sterile. <laughs> I don't think that's a problem at all. <laughs> no, it, <laughs> the, it's the property of the material itself that the surface uh-huh. is is uh, rougher right. Right. and uh, the there's a uh, a real neat. Uh, a publication called the uh, Draught Quality Manual. Mm-hmm. Um, it's available for, at um, from the Brewers Association here in the United States, and uh, it's available at uh, www.draughtquality.org, and it's available as a PDF file that you can download, and it'll give you a lot of information on uh, basically uh, professional uh, tap systems. You know, if you're Operate a brew pub or restaurant, you know, for setting up uh, jockey boxes and uh, uh, long lines from your kegs in the basement to the, you know, the, the tap room. But lots of good information there for the home brewer as well on uh, pressure drops from lines, the different kinds of lines you'll see, see available. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's even some that are called barrier lines where you have, they, they've been um, polished on the inside. To reduce the, you know, for the same size, same diameter, you'll have less flow in a barrier line than you would in a regular line. So you can use them to run longer distances. Hmm. So um Draught Quality Manual from the Brewers Association. Lots of good info in there. Okay. I have a question: Is draught and draft like tomato, tomato, or is there? And I'm being serious. Or is there? Yeah, a, a, you, you could say draft. Mm-hmm. Even if it's spelled with a G H T. So, because some people do say Gerat as Palmer does, and others yes. say Gerat, but it's there's uh, no standard. Uh, it's tomato, I, tomato. 
Could be. I've I've always um, I always I mean this is one of those things my wife always criticizes me about. You know, she says that's not how it's pronounced, but <laughs> you never hear anybody pronounce the word. You just read it all the time. So right. Mm-hmm. I you know draught. It's spelled draught. You're right. I, but I suppose it could be pronounced draft. Okay. I'm just curious. And, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Here's well, another. Here's one that really bugs the hell out of me. It's 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 moot. It's not mute. You know. It's right. a moot moot point, not a mute oh, point. Yeah. Jesus Christ! <laughs> People, you know. Yeah. Anyway, that's a different word. But yeah. is that spelt M U T E when you say the point is moot, or is it M O O T? O O T. Right. Yeah. So that's just stupid. Yes. <laughs> we should start Damn telling worse. people that. Yes. <laughs> All right. Here's a good question from the chat about uh, cleaning. Uh, they want me to ask you guys about tap faucet cleaning practice uh, at the appropriate times, and in particular, when not using your draft system for a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the way that I like to, to, to clean the faucets is... Um, uh, at Warbeer, they have a faucet cleaning kit. If you've got uh, you know taps and all this, or you know the the, the faucets uh, built into a fridge or something like that, uh, and what you essentially do is um, you can uh, hook up this. You, you remove the faucets, drop them in a bucket of um, you know beer line cleaner or PBW. I use beer line cleaner, and then uh, you just pump it through the lines back into the keg, or you can hook up a fill up a keg with. Um, Beer line cleaner, some warm beer line cleaner, and then um, uh, put CO2 pressure on that and, and force it through, and then back out into another bucket or into another keg, and then uh, just keep recycling it like that through um, your various uh, faucets and lines. The, um, you know, my theory was you could always hook up, uh, you know, like a pump, some pump. And put jumpers on your your faucets. Go from one out of one back into another, and through your lines and all that. <laughs> you could kind of piggyback the whole thing together, and then just run this thing and back into the bucket and just let it run for a while, and then run clean water through, and then run some uh, some uh, line cleaner sanitizer, and uh, you know that would probably be ideal. And they have um, actually. Um, for commercial setups and long lines, they have um, something similar to that, which is a pump. And they have these little balls that are made of, I don't know, they're foam or something like that. And you put these balls in, and it and it pumps these balls through with the cleaner through your lines and uh, essentially uh, scrubs the interior of the lines. Yeah, I've heard of those, too. Now, what about whatever your method is? You know, what about schedule? I've heard people mm-hmm. say that if you're turning your beer around like we do here at the at my house you almost never have to clean unless you're really changing your beer it's like say a sour beer Mm -hmm. as opposed to a pale ale but if you're always moving beer through it i've heard people say virtually never Uh, that's wrong okay um and the reason being because there's always some sort of contamination right there's always some bacteria there's always some wild yeast there's always some something in there and especially you know, with different brewers, like, you know, if Chad was running all his beers through, I think it'd be okay. <laughs> right. But every once in a while, we, we're slipping a Justin beer on there. Sure. You know. Put I that on the schedule. You know, like, you know, yeah, then then you need cleaning, right? Yeah. So, and and these, these little trace amounts of bacteria and all that, they do tend to, you know, find those nooks and crannies, get stuck mm-hmm. in there, 
and start building up a, a population and a colony grows and then you've got you know if you leave beer hooked up to the line um you know that starts uh, you know multiplying throughout the beer and you know you can end up with uh, contaminated kegs it's, you know the longer the line i suppose it's not um as much one of as my, you, but one of my tips is um i keep a bottle of a spray bottle full of star sand mm-hmm. um at the, uh, the by the fridge and so you know if, when i'm done uh pouring beer um, squirt some up I, the uh, faucet. I, I, I squirt some up the faucet. Just kind of, you know, sanitize the, the outside of the faucet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know, man. <laughs> little star but, uh, sand up the faucet. <laughs> Keep you running just right. <laughs> You're good. Yeah, because most of the most of the contamination, at least with my beer, comes yeah. from outside. It, Same concern. Know, yeah. Right, so, so how about a general rule? How often does Jamil clean out his beer lines? Do you have a regular schedule? Yeah, you know, uh, probably, um, I don't know, I probably just don't. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, no, that's supposed to be my line, yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, I used to uh, you know, be much more careful because I used to keep my kegs hooked up to it. Now, you know, I'll spray some sanitizer in the fittings and in the faucet, and then I'll uh, hook it up to a keg, I'll run some out and... and toss it and then you know I'll, I'll get whatever pour i need and then i'll disconnect the the line from the keg i'll spray down the keg i'll spray down the uh, the fitting spray down the faucet and then you know and i go a long time that way mm-hmm. and i even mix in sour beers and oh. uh, you know it's it's generally okay but if you want to pour <laughs> The best beer possible. Right. The more often you clean it, the the better off you can be. Because even with, let's say, a, a perfectly clean beer, no bacteria, no wild yeast, there's protein buildup. There's a lot of other things that uh, can build up in the lines that can restrict the flow, uh, interrupt the flow, and cause you not to pour perfect beer. So you, it sounds to me like you leave your lines until there's a problem. Until you either taste it or have a problem right. pouring it, right? Okay, that's what I do too. I mean, I'll have a keg. I'll have. I'll leave the kegs kept connected up for you know months at a time. Okay, and uh, you know some. I may not drink a particular beer for weeks at a time, and uh, but I've, like I say, I'll, I'll spray them. I'll spray the end of the faucet with star, star sand from time to time, and uh, to keep it clean. And then I I can go and pour that beer. And uh, you know, may discard the la- the first couple ounces that pour in the glass because um, it tends to be you know flat from just sitting right in the line right up at the, next to the faucet. But uh, it pours great after that. Now let me let me say this: I consider this different than keg care, right? Because yeah. on kegs, every time I use a keg, I completely disassemble it. Right. All the parts of a part that you can take apart and thoroughly clean these with hot PVW. They get a scrubbing. They get uh, you know lots of rinsing. They get a, 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 a good uh, uh, sanitizing with star sand. I'm very careful about that because um, you know they're you know if I'm just hooking it up to. The, to dispense some and then you know disconnecting it and keeping that sanitized and the beer is going to be okay and then yeah if i find a problem with the lines i'll take care of it and it's still every once in a while when i have time i i'd go and uh i clean the i clean the lines um 
and I tend not to use as many faucets this way, uh, just because I don't have to clean them all. So I tend to use just one faucet over and over and over, and then you know it might get funky, and then maybe I'll switch to another faucet and use that for a while. <laughs> yeah. Finally, I'll just you know clean them all. And I'll do, I'll throw I'll throw away the line after a year. I mean, just replace the the beer line. That's true. Yeah, you know, replacing your beer line uh, every year or so is is actually a pretty good idea too. You don't have to do that with your CO two lines. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do that with CO two lines unless you get beer in there. So you want to have check valves on all your CO two lines so it can't back up into the into those lines. Uh, very important. And uh, our good sponsor, More Beer, MoreBeer dot com. They have those uh, check valves and nice manifolds. That's what I use. Which uh, brings me to another question. Uh, one of our listeners got a used system uh, without one-way valves in the mm-hmm. manifold, without those check valves, right. and eventually beer backed up into the regulator itself. Oh, yeah. Says he now has another one, uh, so he's okay, but w- what is there anything he can do with his old one that didn't have the one-way valves? Can it be refurbed? Should he clean it? Uh, yeah, you know, somebody who knows what they're doing with those regulators can take them apart, okay. uh, clean out all the beer. Generally, there's it's just a spring and a um, and a diaphragm in there underneath, and you just you can just disassemble it. The gauges are a little more tricky if you get um, beer in the gauge. Um, that screws them up, and they tend to stick. Um, tend to read erratically, but that's not as big a problem. But the, the diaphragm that actually controls the flow of gas out there at a fixed pressure, um, yeah, you can you can take those apart and clean them. Uh, again, I'm not telling you to do that unless you're like an expert in it because yeah. who knows what you'll, you'll kill yourself doing it, but uh, it's really not very complex, and you just rinse it out and put it all back together. It should be probably okay. okay. They have rebuild kits for those things, too. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, and you might find uh, somebody at some gas supply place that'll fix it up for you for a six-pack or something. All right. Uh, another question. Uh, if you have uh, This person says if you have your regulator in the fridge, actually inside the fridge with your beer, it affects the reading on the bottle pressure gauge. Mm-hmm. Will it also affect the pressure showing on the regulated side of the gauge? Um, no, it should be, should be no, fine. No, that should be fine. It should be yeah. even. Okay. All right, good. Uh, and then a last question. Uh, I'm not sure that we uh, have used these here in the U.S. I know they're popular. They seem to be popular in Australia. Uh, a question about that uh, Selly Tap, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. seems to have its own uh, flow control switch. Right. And the question was uh, about the proper use of that flow control switch. Right. And then the, it's got that. Where you push the the lever back and it uh, the handle back and you get a foaming uh, for yeah, like stouts and things like that. Yeah, the the, the creamer. Um, and everybody likes to push the handle back and get some cream. <laughs> um, yeah. The, uh, you know, uh, I swear years ago, uh, more beer was carrying these and I was interested in them. And, um, for some reason, Chris Graham was not hot on these. He was like, well, you know, he convinced me to go with, uh, the regular, um, uh, beer lines instead. But uh, essentially, it's got a little lever on it, and um, it's essentially restricting the the pressure, the backflow, uh, the back pressure at the faucet. And we were talking about using those little clamps in line right. on the lines. I think this is essentially this a similar thing. Um, you're just using it. Uh, you know, it's it's as late in the fo- the flow as you can possibly get. So I think it's effective in prov- providing that. But I think there's some limitations to it as well. 
um, you know, you'll get to a point where you got so much carbonation, you know, if you're if you're putting too much back pressure on it, yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, I haven't used them myself, and uh, uh, you know, don't really have any expertise in. It. How about you, John? Yeah, I've never used one, but uh, they seem to be very popular on the Australian brewing forums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where I saw most of it. Well, folks at home, you can look up Cellitap, C-E-L-L-I, Cellitap. Uh, a lot of it does come up on the Aussie Homebrewer Forum. You can look up uh, what people have been talking about them over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right, that's all the questions I have from the chat today. All right, so uh, the perfect pour is uh, uh, you know, getting the, the beer in the glass without wasting a lot of beer. Um, you know, because you could pour a giant head and let it settle for, you know, wasting a lot of time. Um, you know, getting the right amount of head for the style of beer, the right carbonation of the style of beer that you're doing. And really, uh, you know, unless you're going to control different temperatures and different pressures uh, of your beers, then, you know, your your line length is really the thing that you're going to adjust. Uh, make sure that, uh, you know, you don't have uh, too small a diameter and get too, too little a flow. Uh, and also keep in mind that uh, the quality of the, the pieces you have on the ends of that line are going to make a difference, and keeping those clean are going to make a difference into uh, getting a perfect pour every time. If you're uh, interested, uh, you can uh, check out that draft quality manual. It's at www.draughtquality.org. And uh, from the Brewers Association, that's got some some more good information f- for you. And uh, that's about it, huh? Yeah. Good yeah, show, John. I think it was. All right. And if you get a chance, go to the Brewing Network store. There's a lot of good uh, gear in there, including Brew Strong shirts. Uh, I'm, I'm wearing one right now, and uh, I love it. And if you get a chance, go out, uh, get yourself a Brew Strong shirt, get yourself Brewing Classic Styles. You get How to Brew there. Uh, you know, John signed those as well. Uh, glassware, hats, um, uh, sexual aids, all sorts of things you can get in the Brewing <laughs> Network store. All of them with the uh, the hot grenade. I love the hot grenade shirts. Good stuff. Uh, yep. And all of it goes to support the Brewing Network and uh, keep uh, Justin out of jail. New so. Hop Grenade shirts coming in, too. We had them made for GABF, Sweet. and what is left will go in the store this week. All right. Sweet. New designs. All new. And if you're if you're wondering, there are there still BN4 uh, shirts? There made? are, and glasses. And glasses. All right. And I'll tell you it's what. It's not too late. It's not folks. too late. Get them. Get them now before they run out. I, this year or next year. <laughs> Get them before BNA5. Because <laughs> <Before> five. <laughs> uh, then it'll be too late. Well, maybe not. It's never too late. If they're on the shelf, it's never too late. Never too late. (laughs) Buy them damn things. Yeah. All right. Good show, John. Great questions. Thank Uh, thank you, Steve, for uh, calling in with that great question, and we really appreciate it. And any other questions you have, email them to uh, brewstrong at uh, thebrewingnetwork.com. Until later, uh, make sure to brew strong. Brew strong, everybody.